Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bull Take Scouting Podcast. Today, we have a Q&A session, and you guys asked a lot of questions on our Instagram page, so we have a full slate of really interesting discussions ahead of us. But first, I know that we have some uh, big news today. Do you want to break it to us, Alex? I'm sure most of you have already heard it, though. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's already heard. Um, Dak signed his, his contract extension. It breaks down to four years, $160 million, 126 guaranteed. Um, yeah, Casa, what are your thoughts about that? Man, I, it's it's difficult to analyze because my first reaction is he's not a forty million a year type of guy, but he's in that tier of truly quality franchise quarterbacks. And I feel like each one, each time one of them is going to come up, they're going to reset that the market and get that amount of money. So I don't think the Cowboys had a choice, and I really don't think they could have let him go. So. I, I, while it's 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 clearly an overpay, I don't think they had a choice. I think they had to do it. Yeah, I I, I think they definitely paid too much. I think you know he's uh, average money. I think is the second highest quarterback behind Mahomes. Um, I think Watson's thirty nine, so he's he's right up there. I think you know good for him. Um, it, last year showed that they they needed to pay him, uh, and I I think it's too much, but they they had to pay him that much or he was going to walk and probably get that from someone in free agency. So I, I think that's all they could really do. Um, and then a, a short little tidbit um, we have is Isaiah Wilson, the, uh, the now second year offensive tackle drafted in the first round last year by the Titans. Um, he played three snaps the whole season, had a plethora of off the field issues. Uh, he was just traded to the Dolphins, and basically they just swapped seventh-round picks. Yeah, I, I really – I'm not surprised by the move because we've just heard a laundry list of, of things that have happened off the field with Isaiah Wilson. And uh, not really to get into too much detail, but there are a couple DUIs, uh, a lot of partying, which got him on the COVID reserve list several times. And I didn't, neither of us liked him as a prospect on the field. And then with off, all these off-field issues, it's just really not surprising that this this was the uh, result. But um, I, I hope he can get his mind right and get back on track and salvage an NFL career out of this. Totally. I mean, if he can, if he can figure it all out, get get in line. It, it's a great move by the Dolphins. I mean, you're swapping seventh-round picks. You're, I mean, you know, at, at that point in the draft, you basically – it doesn't really matter where you're on the seventh round. You have guys that you want to pick in the seventh round. So I, I think, you know, if he if he can put it all together, I think it's a great move. And, you know, if not, oh, well, they swapped seventh-round picks. Totally agree. And uh, so to get to the Q&A session, our first question, um, what should the Eagles do about their quarterback situation? So I'll let you start off on this one, Alex. All right. So, uh, I mean, I think the Eagles could go a lot of ways here. I think, you know, some news came out, I think it was earlier today, um, there was some talk about Jeffrey Lurie saying he wanted the Eagles to stay with Jalen Hurts as a starter. He didn't want them to bring in like top competition. Um, I don't know if you you heard that, but I I read that from from some sources, and I, I just it's it's tough. If I were the Eagles, I would um, probably go with a quarterback uh, at four. Personally, six. I would, or six. My bad. Yeah. So so at six. Um, and honestly, it looks like the top three quarterbacks could be gone uh, by four. So I would probably take Trey Lance um, at six. And, that, you know, that's he, he's not ranked that high, um, but I think that you have to do with quarterbacks. So I would take Trey Lance. Um, 
and let him sit behind Jalen Hurts. They'd run a similar offense. So you can have Trey Lance develop, learn the offense that Hurts is running, um, and then, you know what, let Hurts run the offense this year, let Lance run and develop, and then next year in 2022, it's time to go with Lance. Yeah, for, for me, I would 100% be aggressively trying to trade up and if the Jets are taking Zach Wilson at number two and trading Sam Darnold and try to get to three or four and grab Justin Fields, I think he, I, I, I have him solidly ahead of Trey Lance. And it's really difficult for me to say whether or not I would pick Trey Lance sixth overall. I definitely wouldn't be going Mac Jones. I would not touch him in the first round. I know that's both of our opinion, but Trey Lance is somebody that I don't have graded as high as, as the sixth overall player in the draft. But he has so much potential, and if you sat him behind Jalen Hurts, that you would be running the same offense for both of them. And I really think that Trey Lance is a much better prospect coming out than Jalen Hurts. And who knows when the Eagles will be picking in the the top six uh, picks, especially with such a quarterback class again. So I think I would pick Trey Lance, but, man, I would really want to thoroughly – analyze analyze his play and and how he fits into the into the system and you, i think you really if you're going to make that move you have to have a plan like you really got to understand how you're going to run that quarterback competition with two young high draft picks what you're going to do with any scenario in case of who wins the job how each of them plays in in whatever amount of playing time they get and i really think that it's it's something that that's that's a very interesting option that could really be a, a very high reward option given that they they would have two guys that have a lot of talent and have a lot of upside in the NFL but I really think you have to be very comfortable with this decision and how you're going to let it unfold in your organization yeah I agree and you know if if you're the Eagles and you you can't uh you can't move up to draft Justin Fields or you know for some reason Zach Wilson falls past the Jets which I I highly doubt um, right now, but if you can't move up to get fields and you don't feel comfortable taking Lance, then you know what? I'd stick with Hertz and you hope for the best. You plan that offense around him. You cater towards him. And you know what? If he doesn't perform well, odds are you're going to be picking in the top five, top 10 again next year. If he does perform well, then you know what? Ride with him and, you know, hope that he can continue to improve. But I agree with you. I think number one, I would try to be trying to trade up um, to get Justin Fields. Um, and if not, um, I, I would have to think long and hard about picking Trey Lance at six if I was the general manager uh, of the Eagles. But then again, if I was the general manager of the Eagles, I wouldn't have picked Jalen Hurts in the first place, and Carson Wentz would still be the starting quarterback. So, For me, this this question is almost the technicality of what are the circumstances of this hypothetical? Is, is, is this a hypothetical in which I'm the general manager and this is my first year? Because the thing with picking Trey Lance is if you pick him sixth overall, you are tying your job, your future, your reputation on his success. If you decide to stick with Jalen Hurts and he doesn't do well and you go with a different quarterback option in the second year and you, you, were, you just inherited Hurts, you can still salvage your job if, if Hurts fails. So I think that's where it gets really tricky. And so, but I definitely would be looking towards the draft is the short answer. I would not be going full steam ahead with Jalen Hurts, no matter what. I'm not totally sold on his potential in the NFL. And I'd be looking at those quarterback options and trying to aggressively trade up for Justin Fields if I can. Yeah, totally. And I think this is a conversation you could go on for a few hours, just digging through, you know, all the, all the different options, you know, trade potential, all these different things, but you know, we got to keep, keep moving through uh, these questions. 
from Instagram. So moving on to the next one, uh, should the Falcons take Panay Sewell if, if he's available at number four and consider drafting quarterback next year? No. I, I don't even want to talk about the strength of, the, of next year's quarterback class because Joe Burrow last year and Zach Wilson this year has shown us that you have no clue how that quarterback class is going to look a year out. I mean, th- those two guys were seen as late round draft picks and then they had incredible seasons uh, and, and ended up being uh, really high picks, obviously. So, but the short story is I know this quarterback class right now that, and I know the Falcons are picking fourth overall with a chance to get one of these top quarterback prospects so if i'm them i'm doing everything i can to secure one of the top three guys so either zach wilson or justin fields because i'm a good franchise i'm probably not picking fourth overall anytime soon this is an extremely strong quarterback class as good as panay sewell is as a prospect because he's he's terrific you just can't pass on this given that matt ryan is not the quarterback of the future at this point yeah i can i completely agree i think you know, Matt Ryan's getting old. I think he's 36, 37. Um, he's, he's getting up there in age. Uh, and I just – I would not expect the Falcons to be picking uh, near the top five again. I think they're way too much of a talented team. And they had an off year. So I would say take Justin Fields. Um, he's not going to start this year. Um, and be okay with that and say, look – try to trade Matt Ryan next year just for his own benefit. I think he has a few solid years left, Um, but you know, in short, I would take Justin Fields because like you said, you have no idea what's going to happen with the quarterback class. I think, you know, you could have another guy like Zach Wilson or Joe Burrow next year, or it could end up like 2013 when people thought, Oh, Matt Barkley, he's going to be a first round pick. They thought that in like 2000, uh, 2011, and then he came back for his 2012 season and he did not perform very well. And he dropped to a fifth round pick and is a career backup. So you have no idea what's going to happen uh, with that. So when you see a quarterback that you like, that you know is good, that you truly believe is going to be a franchise quarterback, you pull the trigger regardless of if you're going to start him this year or next year. Yeah. And I actually really like the idea of Justin Fields sitting behind Matt Ryan for a year or two. I mean, I, he's not he's not a guy who needs to sit like like I think Trey Lance is, but he definitely has some mechanical issues that you could get to work on. And spending a whole year learning behind Matt Ryan, man, I, that, I think that could really be the best outcome for his career is if he were to land in Atlanta. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we're just going to keep moving on through these questions. I don't think there's anything uh, else we need to talk about about that. No to Sewell. Uh, you know, you take Justin Fields um, at four. So moving on, uh, this is actually a, f- a free agency question. Which offensive lineman should the Seahawks consider uh, and target in free agency? Yeah, I like going after Corey Lindsley. I think if they were to be able to get him on a, on a long-term deal at center, that would be a, a really good uh, option there. And otherwise, I think that there's going that second tier of free agent uh, players is is not going to get the money that they usually get because of the, the cap being uh, lowered this year. I think that if they were to look at a couple of guys like uh, the Buffalo Bills duo of uh, John Feliciano and Daryl Williams, I doubt the Bills can re-sign both of them. And they're really good players, but they're 29 years old. So I don't think they're going to be getting a big money long-term deal. If they could sign them to one or two-year con- two deal contracts, that could go a long way to showing Russell Wilson, look, you, we, un- we we understand you. We know part of the, the, the issue with uh, – you wanting out is a lack of control over the offense, but we also know that you really want more protection. So look, we're making these deals. We're doing them now. 
we want to win a Super Bowl in the next two years with you. So I think that's what I, where I'd be looking in free agency if I were the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I really love the Corey Lindsley idea. I don't think he's going to re-sign with the Packers. And center is such an important position um, on the offensive line. And ever since they traded um, Max Unger uh, to the Saints, I think it was in the Jimmy Graham trade, they haven't really had a, a really good center. Um, and I think, you know, Corey Lindsley would be would be great for them. I think it would do a really good things in showing Russell Wilson, hey, we're trying to improve our offensive line. Um, I, I think another intriguing option, I'm not sure if he'll necessarily hit free agency um, because I, I think he might be franchise tagged. Um, Brandon Scherf. I think, I think he will be tagged again. He he might be tagged for a second time, but I think if he's not, he's a guy that you have to have to go after. I think he's, he's a top guard in the league. Um, and, you know, with the cap going down, who knows if, you know, they'll be able to – if uh, Washington will be able to tag him. But I think, you know, if I was Washington, I'd be doing everything I can possibly do to, to re-sign him and get him to sign a long-term deal. Yep. And so our next question is um, – what, who is the most underrated quarterback after the first five? So I assume that being Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Jones, and Lance in no particular order. Outside of that group of five of the quarterbacks who are likely first-round picks, who do you think is an underrated uh, quarterback in this draft class? All right, so first of all, regarding the, the quarterback draft class, I think it's really talented at the top. Um, with you know the the four guys that we like, um, I know some people do really like Mac Jones. We're not big fans. I think the four guys at the top um, are really really talented and all have potential to be stars at the quarterback position. So, but then moving on past the top five, a guy that, that I um, that I think is is solid um, is Davis Mills uh, from Stanford, and I know, I know you like him too. Um, I, I think he he. He doesn't have the, the greatest arm, um, but I think that he runs a pro-style offense at Stanford, and he doesn't really make too many poor decisions. Um, and I, I think he's a guy that, you know, he has a, a, a prototypical NFL size uh, for a quarterback. And um, I don't think there's, like, a, any hidden gems this year uh, at quarterback in the draft. I think it's – besides those top four, top five guys, I think, you know, it, it's a big drop-off. Um, but I think if you're really looking for one guy that – um, you say after the top five, who has the potential to be a starter in the NFL? I'd probably go with Davis Mills. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would call him a, a future starter in the NFL. He he could end up being kind of a low end spot starter. Um, I think he has really good short and intermediate accuracy. He generally takes a good care of the football, but I think his deep ball accuracy isn't good. Uh, he he sticks onto his first read too often. He uh, doesn't. He has, he's pretty inexperienced, so he doesn't read defenses that well. I think that he just has the potential to develop into a high-end backup and spot starter. And when you just look at him in this quarterback class, that I totally agree is really top-heavy. And I don't, I don't, I'm not confident in any any answer to this question because I don't think there is a hidden gem. I don't think there's a guy outside of these top quarterbacks that has a chance to be a franchise guy. But I mean, I've heard Jamie Newman's name a lot. Kellen Mond's name is uh, gaining steam after uh, Chris Sims ranked him ahead of uh, Justin Fields and Kellen Mond. but I really – I do think that Davis Mills is better than them, so I would say he's the most underrated one of the pack. I, I probably have a high fourth-round grade on him. I think he can develop into a, a really good backup. Yeah, like you said, there's – I don't think there's anybody that's going to be a hidden gem. There's no Dak Prescott's on uh, this year. Um, and, you know, it, it is what it is. It's top-heavy, and 
after that, there's there's really nobody. I think a, a name I did want to bring up, um, I know he's a guy that we, we scouted um, early uh, a few months ago because we got a question about him. You know who I'm going to uh, talk about. He, uh, unfortunately for us, he, he returned to school. Carson Strong, quarterback from Nevada. I know we really were both super intrigued with what we saw. Um, and I think we both thought that he could be a, a first-round sleeper. Um, and we said that back in January, late January, I think. December. December. So he was a guy that I was I, – we both were really high on and we saw a lot of potential. Um, and I was so excited to – you know, I know we both were to have this guy in our back pocket that, you know, we, we found in December – Unfortunately, he's returning to school, but I just that's a name I wanted to bring up because if he did declare, that would be my answer to this question. I mean, if anything, it means that we we've been we've been ha- banging the table for him since December of 2020 when he's going to be in the 2022 draft. And so, in short, there's not really a name that we're confident on. It's that we don't think there's any hidden gem, but if you want an underrated quarterback in next year's draft class, watch out for Carson Strong. I think if he really keeps progressing like he has um, in the, in the, his first two years, he's got extremely explosive arm with perfect, well not perfect, but really good deep ball accuracy. So a lot of potential there. And he's definitely a, a name to keep an eye on heading into the 2021 college football season. So moving on to our next question, uh, we've got, can Jamar Chase have a better possible career than Steve Smith or not? So the, the way I kind of looked at this question is I, I think it's really hard to compare a guy like Jamar Chase and Steve Smith. Um, just one, because of, you know, the time periods that they're going to be that are playing. Steve Smith was, you know, an early mid-2000s guy. Um, and he played a little bit into the uh, the 2010s, but not – that was the end of his career. And, you know, Jamar Chase is going to be in an extremely pass-heavy pass heavy, um, offense in the NFL in the 2020s now. And I, I kind of looked at this question as, all right, where do I project – um, Jamar Chase to be and what do I project his career to turn out um, and then I, I feel like that's going to be hard to compare to Steve Smith because the numbers are going to be inflated for Chase just because of the plus there's the 17th the 17th game um, should be coming on the slate next year I think according to Peter King and you know other people inside the NFL so those season numbers career numbers are going to be inflated um, so I think that will be really hard to compare um, for me, but I, I think just looking at Jamar Chase and where I think his career or how I think his career will unfold, I think he's he's a surefire um, number one wide receiver. I, th- I think he has you know top top five wide receiver potential. Um, I think he's he's a he's not the fastest guy, but I think he he runs good enough routes to be able to get open, and I think. He's a great, great jump ball, 50-50 ball receiver. Um, this is something I mentioned in my scouting report way back when we uh, – early uh, in our Instagram page, I said he turns 50-50 balls into 80-20 balls. I mean, if you just throw the ball up there for this guy, he's going to come down with it. Um, and he's, he's just so, so well-rounded. Um, so what do, you think, what do you think about Jamar Chase uh, and Steve Smith? Yeah, I first want to say, as you said with that with that seventeenth game, I don't think the NFL has thought about enough enough about how many legacies are going to be impacted by this because they're going to be records just going down because that 
dudes have a 17th game to, to break whatever record. And then just in terms of comparing anything across the pre-17th and the post-17th game era is just going to be impossible because there's going to be that slight advantage all the time. They don't care. They, money. No, they, yeah. I know. I it's that I know. It's just it's a shame to see because I mean there's no basis for comparison and a lot of these records are going to go down in that 17th game. But going back to the question, uh, I I think that it's definitely a difficult question to answer. The the question was, can he? And he certainly can. I mean, he has that upside. I think that if he works on his route running even more because it's good, but it could be even better. Um, and he, I mean, he, we need more uh, blocking effort in the run game. He's he, for him to be able to be on the field at all times and be trusted by his coaching staff, by his quarterback, by his whole team. He's going to have to be a better run blocker. Um, but other than that, I, I'm, I kind of have my doubts about him as a true elite separator because he's not the most athletic and the fastest. But man, he's he's still a, a top end wide receiver prospect. Great guy, great player. So he definitely could. I mean, it, only time will tell. The, the argument I'll make um, about Chase and with mo- majority of receivers, you, you really want to see that elite separation ability. But I think with Chase, because his 50-50 ball is so good, I think, you know, if he doesn't get that separation from some corners, it's okay. You can still throw him the ball because it, it's going to be more than a 50-50 ball. You know, if he if he runs a 30-yard post down the field and the corner is still right, right with him, you can still throw him the ball because he'll jump up. And he'll come down with that ball 70, 80% of the time. That's true. And he has he has physical traits that Steve Smith just doesn't have. But in all due respect to Steve Smith, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a legend. But, I mean, Jamar Chase definitely has the potential to reach that level or even surpass it. Oh, totally. Um, moving on to the next question, uh, another, another wide receiver question. Um, so who do we think is the best wide receiver outside of the top four? And the top four would obviously be Chase. Uh, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Rashad Bateman. Yeah, I want to say obviously because a lot of people don't have Rashad Bateman in the top four, which I don't understand because I I love t- Rashad Bateman. I feel like I say this every episode, but I mean outside of that, I'm not super confident in any guy as number five. I really think that there's there's a ton of depth in this class, but so there, which also means that this the tier after those top four is just a whole list of guys. I have a lot of guys in the second round range that I think are going to be high impact players. So it's really difficult to, to pick one as just the headliner of that, uh, like that tier. But I would say Kadarius Tony right now, I have my concerns about him, especially off the field with an incident that we've detailed in a previous episode. Um, but I, and I, I want to see him develop into a really complete receiver who can run a full route tree and, and use all that, uh, the quickness and suddenness that he has to his advantage as a route runner. But man, I mean, just the explosiveness he has and his wiggle and elusiveness after the catch, it just makes him such a dangerous weapon and his, his upside is through the roof. So if I had to say a number five, it would, it would be Kadarius Tony. I think he'll end up fifth on my wide receiver board. But I don't know about picking Kadarius Tony at, in the late first, early second, when you can wait a round or two and you can get um, an Amon Ross St. Brown or a Dwayne Eskridge or a Kate Johnson or an Austin Watkins or an Elijah Moore. And so there are just so many guys I think would be better value maybe a round later. But my fifth, I would say, is Kadarius Tony right now. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, li- the list really goes on and on. Um, and, and I detail that in my uh, bold take that we posted today uh, on Monday um, about the wide receiver class. And I think this truly has the potential to be the best wide receiver class in NFL history. I and agree. 
And see, the thing is, saying it's the best class in NFL history doesn't mean it has the best wide receiver of all time. I, I don't think anyone will ever take that away from Jerry Rice. Even with the 17th game, that's not going to happen. He's so far, so far ahead of everyone else. But wh- what I mean by that, um, if, if you haven't seen the post on Instagram, is just the top the top four guys are really, really good. I think they all have star potential. But then even after those top four guys, the depth is absolutely insane. I, I have 19 guys right now with a day one or day two grade. And to me, that basically means I see there's at least 19 guys that can be starters, um, which means wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and slot receivers at, at the next level. So that means I believe that more than half of the teams in the NFL – can have a starting wide receiver from the 2021 draft class. And that's just mind-blowing. Yeah. But to get back to the question, I mean, I agree with you. Tony is is fifth on my board right now. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, we see a lot of the same in him. The, the biggest red flag for me, like you said, is the off-the-field issues. Um, but like you said, there's a lot of other guys, and I probably wouldn't take Tony. Um, I would probably, you know, wait. You know, the later second round, third round, there's so many guys. And because it's so deep, guys are going to fall. Um, I think just just to throw, you know, a few names, um, there's a guy like Tylen Wallace is a guy I really like. Not not in the second round, but I really like him from um, Oklahoma State. Um, you mentioned Terrace Marshall. Um, the list goes on and on. Shy Smith, uh, a guy from South, uh, South Carolina, I, I think he's an intriguing option. Um, so, you know, the, the list goes on and on. I think this wide receiver class is going to be just insane looking back and saying, wow, all these guys were starters. And yeah, yeah. Day, yeah day two. And then even even guys are going to slip to the fourth, fifth round. They're going to be high impact players, even starters. I think you're, you're going to be seeing you're going to be seeing pro bowlers out of day two and solid starters out of like even round four just insane i i totally agree with your bold take that this this has the potential because of the the ta- not, not not even there's the talent at the top but then after that the insane depth and especially the amount of guys that are just going to be quality starters that you can get in rounds two three and four are just this this i love this wide receiver class yeah i just want to throw out a few a few more names um you, you mentioned austin watkins i know you really like him i'm Cade johnson um, Diami Brown, I think he's yeah. he's intriguing. Amari Rogers is a guy that I really like. Um, and I have I have thirty nine wide receivers scouted um, at the moment, and it's just the depth is absolutely insane. And if you're in need of a wider, if your team's in need of a wide receiver, do not worry. There's a guy for everybody. Absolutely. And so to move on to the next question, um, we have. Who is better in your opinion, Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley? So to, for a little background, we scouted like all of these like first round guys back in December as the college uh, football season was wrapping up. And now we're just getting back into doing our second round through of tape so that we can come close to finalizing come April, our boards, our grades on all of these guys. So right before this show, we both dug in again on, on Sertan and Farley and I mean, and we decided that we were going to make a almost a really a call on, on these two, and and we'd share it live right here. So I'm excited to hear this. Who do you have above the other? Yeah. So before before I give my answer, I want to say that it's it is very very close. Um, I think 
this is we're looking at this from perspective of who we think is going to be um, the better player. But I think if you're a specific team, I think that could really your your opinion could really be swayed based on the type of defense that you run and what exactly you're looking for um, in a cornerback. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to say that that we're we're we our plan was to make a call on this tonight um, on this podcast. But don't be surprised if I switch. You know, early April, I'll be f- completely finalizing my rankings, my grades, watching tape one last time, and I would not be surprised uh, if my if these two flip flop. Right now, for me, it's Caleb Farley. So oh, for me, for me, it's Patrick Sertan. I that, yeah. So yeah, I think it's really close, and I was going back and forth. Um, you know, I for me. It really comes down to the man coverage um, of Caleb Farley. And I personally, I feel like um, Farley has more upside. Um, I think Sertan is a little bit of a safer pick, I would say, right now. Um, he obviously has more experience. Uh, you, you mentioned this in your, your scouting report on Farley that we did a while back. He was a wide receiver coming to Virginia Tech. He got injured his freshman year and switched over to cornerback. So he's been playing cornerback for two years. And for me, that was kind of what made me go with Farley over Sertan, just because he's still raw and he's he's already this good. Um, and I think his wide receiver background will do him a lot um, as a cornerback. But between that and I think he's better at man coverage than Patrick Sertan. And I, in my opinion, I feel like you can mask uh, insufficiencies in zone coverage more than you can in man coverage. So yeah, I'll, I'll look you up the floor now, and you can make your argument for Sutan. Yeah, so on, on the flip side, though, man, I'm just – I feel like people are really just overanalyzing Patrick Sertan. Like, I, I understand that there's so much more to uncover with Caleb Farley, and it, what he, the player he is now is not at all the player he could be three years down the line. But I think this is not – not to the same extent, but it's a similar case to, let's say, the Bosa brothers. People are saying, oh, they're they're maxed out. They maxed out at a pro ball level. Like, that's that's great. Patrick Sertan has been for years an elite corner in, in college, and I understand that, they, honestly, the player he is now is the player he'll be in the NFL. There's not as much to uncover, not as much untapped potential. But I think he can be – I think he's going to be a pro baller in the NFL. He's just – he's that good. And I, I agree that – the pure coverage skills in terms of those physical traits that allow you to stay in phase and mirror a wide receiver are better with Farley than with Sertan, which gives him a higher upside at cornerback. Sertan is still a great cover corner. He, he still, he, he still had, I mean, I, I love his size. I love, I love his length. I love his physicality. I love his fluidity. I wish he was a little bit more sudden. I wish he was faster in terms of deep speed. And I, I do really wish he had better ball skills and he could turn some, uh, turn, uh, more of those opportunities into interceptions and all of those things Caleb Farley's better at. But for me, it's just he is a much safer pick and coming into the league, he's just a much better player. I've, I'm much more willing to take Patrick Sertan and 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 know that, oh, I think I'm getting a, a pro ball player here because he's just extremely technically refined and he has re- really good athletic traits than, uh, than taking Caleb Farley where the, the, the physical and athletic traits are just through the roof and so is the upside but he's not that good in run support he's not that good in zone he his football iq is still developing and he's still learning how to use his physical traits which is totally normal given that he is only a two-year cornerback 
But and and I I would not be surprised if he ended up being a top five corner in this league, which is why I really do think highly of both of them. I they're both really good players. Um, but I I'm more willing to to take that really high ceiling with Patrick Sertan than to take the, a shot on an inexperienced guy who sat out in 2020 and has those deficiencies in run support and zone coverage. Oh, t- totally. I I think we we kind of see eye to eye on what we think of these. We guys. see the same thing, and we we it, see the same thing. It's just it's more how you interpret it. It is it comes down to how you interpret it and the the faith that you have in you know basically Farley's ability to reach his potential, right? Because because if we said right now we said okay, you have the opportunity to pick between Farley and Sertan, and someone says I like, it's guaranteed that Farley will reach his potential then I, I think Farley's a better option. So yes. pretty much it comes down to, do you believe that Farley will reach his potential? And just for me, it's 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 more of a gut feeling that I think he will just because he was playing wide receiver in 2017, got injured, and then in 2018 he moved to cornerback. And he, two years later, after two years of playing cornerback, he's in the discussion for the top cornerback in college. So what, why is there any reason for me to think that he's not going to reach the potential that you can clearly see? Sure, he's not great in man coverage. He, he's played man coverage for two years of his life. Patrick Sertan's father was an NFL player. He's played cornerback since peewee football. So, I, I mean, for me, there's just there's no reason to think that Farley isn't going to reach his potential. But I completely agree. I think we see them exactly, pretty much exactly the same. It's just I – I'm willing to take the chance on Farley's potential because I see no reason as to why he shouldn't reach it. And you just, you know, want to go with the safer option, which is I just I, I see I see no reason to take a chance. No matter how confident I am in that chance, I see no reason to take a chance on Farley hitting his potential. Although I, I do agree with you, I do think he he has a good chance of hitting it. But why would I take a chance when I can get a pro ball level player and I know he's that player right now, stepping into my building on day one in Patrick Sertan? Oh, I, I mean, I, I completely, completely understand that. The the one issue that you did bring up um, with Sertan that made me hesitate a little bit was the deep, the deep ball speed, yeah. and that that was a little concerning to me, especially with the way the NFL is going. Teams are con- going to continue to take more deep shots and more deep shots and more deep shots, and I see Farley's able to run with that guy. Sertan doesn't have that that speed that Farley does. So between you know those those three things. You know, and I'll, I'll just sum up my reasoning in, you know, 30 seconds or so, and, and you can do the same. So for me, I'm picking Farley, and, you know, it's one, it's his deep ball speed is better than Sertan's. I think his upside is higher, and I truly believe that he will reach that upside because he's played two years at cornerback and he's already one of the best on college football. So I see no reason as to why he won't reach his potential. So you can just summarize a little bit. Yeah, uh, Farley, is uh, he's got all the physical and athletic traits in the world. But um, he's for me, and I, I he's he has some development to do clearly in terms of run support, zone coverage, and just utilizing his his traits to his advantage on every snap. And I think he has a good chance of hitting them again because he's already gotten this good in such little time. But I just I I don't want to take that chance over just picking such a safe guy in Patrick Sertan, who I'm, who I really think is going to be a Pro Bowl level player because he just he's that good at playing cornerback. And his, his physical and athletic traits might not be as good as Sertan's, but they're still plenty good enough. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with everything you said. And I, I think, you know, you could say the same. I, I think 
you know, the, there's there's looking at it from an NFL team's perspective, um, regardless of what we think. Um, I just want to touch on why a team might pick one over over the other. So, you know, like we said, Farley's better in man coverage, so Tan's better in zone. I think we can both both agree on that. Yeah. Um, so if you're a primarily man team, you're probably going to go with Farley. If you're primarily a zone team, you're probably going to go with Sertan. Totally agree. If you trust completely trust your defensive backs coach to be able to help guys make that transition from college to the NFL, develop their untapped potential, you're going to go with Farley. I think if if you're not willing to take that risk, you're going to go with Sertan. So I think you know those are just reasonings why you know a team might take Sertan over Farley or vice versa. Yep, I, I agree totally. Um, and so for our last question, how high is Trayvon Morig's uh, ceiling and potential? All right, so right now, uh, Morig's my uh, number one safety. Um, and I just want to say this right off the bat. This is not a very strong safety class. I know I know some people like Morig. Some people are putting him in the first round, have first round grades on him. I do not. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's just uh, – it's not a really good safety class. All these safeties have some some really good traits but some really bad traits. Um, and I think, you know, with Mo Rig, it's it, – his his worst trait is probably tackling. Um, he's he, he flashes tackles at times. He can put some big hits on guys, but then there's times where he just doesn't wrap up. Um, and to me, I, I don't know if he can put that together. He, he shows that he can make a tackle at times, but then there's other times where – like I said, he just doesn't wrap up. He just puts his shoulder into guys and falls off. On the flip side, his football IQ is really good, and he's really athletic. He's got great range. Uh, but we've had this discussion on safety before. Tackling is huge for us because um, you're safety. You're the last line of defense. So to me, I think his ceiling is capped um, because he's not a great tackler. Well, do you think you can learn – how to tackle better, though? Because I'm, I'm, I would say I think his ceiling is extremely high because if he does become a good tackler, he, he can be one of the best safeties in the league because he's just so good in coverage, has all the athletic traits, high football IQ, great instincts. It really does come down to whether or not he can fix his tackling. And what, do you think he could? Well, I mean, obviously there's always potential to fix fix tackling. Um, and he, he does show that he can bring guys to the ground. I'm just worried – I'm not going to put my trust into the fact that he can fix his tackling. I agree, I, I, but I, I'm just talking in terms of potential. Like he does have sky high potential. I wouldn't say it's oh, capped. It's capped yeah, if he okay, doesn't so, fix his issues. Yes, that, that's what I meant to say. If he doesn't fix his tackling, it's capped. I think yes. if he can fix his tackling, like you said, he can be one of the top safeties in the league. So, yeah, he, I probably said that incorrectly. His ceiling is really high. I personally am not going to bank on it because I don't yeah. feel like he's going to fix his tackling. So for me, personally, my personal belief is his ceiling is capped, but he does have sky high potential. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's just it's all his his the level of success he reaches in the NFL is almost really predicated on how he's going to be able to improve as a tackler because he's he's going to be playing deep safety because he has such range. Um, and and he's really going to have to be able to be trusted to take down a, a guy because he you can't be viewed as as a good safety in the NFL if you're if you're if you have several plays uh, on the, on your uh, on your resume in which you're just letting up like a 50 60 yard play because you couldn't make a tackle and stop it at 10 20 yards. 
Yeah, I mean, we like I said, we've had this conversation before. I think a guy that you've brought up before, Malik Hooker, um, I think he's a guy that had really good athletic traits, good ball skills, but he great just, ball skills. He couldn't tackle, and that that was the issue. And then if you look on the flip side, we have somebody like Jamal Adams, who is a great tackler, a great blitzer, but in coverage, he still kind of lacks a little bit. And he's considered one of the best safeties in the league. Man, pe- people rank on him too much. That dude's a great safety. Uh, maybe I wouldn't probably wouldn't have traded two firsts for him, but come on, like he's almost turning into a meme on social media, and I'm not, I'm not for it. I, he's, I, I think he's, he's, he's a great player. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I'm just saying that he doesn't have those elite cover skills. But he can – he's a great tackler and he's a great blitzer and he creates plays in the backfield. So even if you don't really value tackling in a in a safety, it, it just shows you that the overall NFL, whether they like to admit it or not, really value tackling in a safety. Yeah, I totally agree. I think people get caught up on those athletic traits as safety too much. And I'm just going to reiterate something uh, that before we end the show on – uh, last year's rookie uh, draft class success at the safety position because we saw a lot of it. Jeremy Chin, Antoine Winfield, Julian Blackman, and uh, I know Xavier McKinney and Kyle Duggar uh, are, can definitely join that group uh, in, in the coming years. Just had so much success, and they, it was probably one of the strongest uh, positions in last year's draft class. And why? Because they could all tackle. They could be trusted as rookies to be on the field throughout the game because they could take those guys down. And so I think that's something that we might not be really be seeing enough of in this, in this draft class where we have guys like, like Mo Rig or another guy's Andre, Andre Cisco, who has all of that athleticism and range, but cannot tackle. And he's even a, he's a much worse tackler actually than, than Mo Rig. So, uh, but I definitely think to get back to the question, Mo Rig's ceiling is extremely high. It's all dependent on whether or not he can fix his tackle. Yeah, and you brought up Cisco. I I, th- I think his athletic traits are great, but he cannot ta- make a tackle to save his life. Um, and he's a guy that I would that I would stay really far, really far away from. Um, you know, just because he cannot tackle uh, at all. So I th- I think that that pretty much wraps up our our question and answers. Thank you um, to everyone who submitted questions. Um, and we'll be doing this again, I would say, in a few weeks. Um, and if you have any questions and you want to hear them uh, on the podcast, want to hear us, hear us go into detail um, with your questions, you know, it can be about draft prospects, you know, what we think teams will do, um, you know, basically anything draft related um, or, you know, even, you know, if you want us to, to pro- project um, – you know, rookies to the next level, you know, that's, that's kind of our specialty. Uh, if you want to, you know, if you, if you want to submit a bold take, even if, if we do a question and answer and say, Hey guys, I got a bold take. Can you, you know, throw it out there on the podcast? You know, that's our brand. We'd be more than willing um, to do that. So uh, thanks to, you know, everyone uh, that tuned in and I, I see in the chat um, Noah saying you need a safety that can tackle. Exactly. Your safety need, needs to be able to tackle. Uh, if not, you know, they're the last line of defense. Yep. 
Totally agree. And uh, I, I really like your idea, man. For for anyone watching, if if you liked submitting those questions and seeing them them answered, I mean, bring on your bold takes, your 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 opinions that you that you want to have people hear. Because I mean, we'll 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 tell you what we think of them, and and I think that that would definitely be really fun. So I encourage you to do that. Keep keep those questions coming in, or bold takes, or really anything that pops into your mind. We put up our stories asking for uh, the, the these questions for the Q and A podcast. Don't hesitate. And everybody, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for submitting your questions. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, thanks for listening.